Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. And for this week, I am joined by Sam Catlin, who is an Emmy PGA and WGA award-winning writer and television producers whose credits include Breaking Bad, Preacher, and the upcoming Apple TV Plus original series Sugar, starring Colin Farrell. He's now out with a new play he's written and directed titled Sea of Terror about the anxiety people feel once plans they have made are finally about to happen. It's playing until October 29th at the Hudson Theater here in LA. Sam, thanks for joining me. It's good to be here. Thanks, Max. Yeah. So I want to start at the beginning of um, really the conception of this um, film, I or of the um, play, excuse me. Um, it began in a workshop production exactly 20 years ago now in 2003. Uh-huh. Can you share what the inspiration was for crafting this story about two couples faced with anxiety and the anticipation of just a simple night of drinks? I think... Um... I had recently moved to Los Angeles from New York City with my girlfriend, now wife. And um, as anyone knows that they live in Los Angeles, like sort of the prime social interaction is you have people over, you have, it's much more formalized social mm-hmm. uh, events in LA as opposed to New York where it's like you run into people in the streets, you improvise. But um so this idea of having dinner parties or having people over was something very new to me. And my wife is naturally gregarious and I'm not. And, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was just the answer. And, and the fact of the matter is it, it, it almost always turns out great, but it's just that anticipation, that sort of dread of, of, I don't know, like other people. <laughs> and so, I was I had just started writing at the time so it just felt like a a fun way to kind of make fun of myself and um and I think it sort of tapped into something that I was pleased to hear that or maybe not so pleased to hear that a lot of people shared. Mm-hmm. Um that's interesting in hearing that your wife is more gregarious than you are and that sort of was the inspiration behind I guess the characters and it's worth noting that your wife um is in the play and definitely comes across as the more gregarious of the two. Um, would you say that you identify most closely with John Ailes's character in the play? Do you find that you sort of look through the story through his perspective, the most out of the four characters in the, in the story? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, it, this, the play is sort of through his point of view in a lot of ways. And um yeah, I, marrying my wife was great because if I had married her, I'd probably just be living in a in a shed at the beach somewhere. Mm-hmm. She's totally, you know, almost all my friends I made through her, and um, and that's sort of Ben's story in the character in the play as well, which is that she's his conduit to the outside world, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, Although we're now watching the show in um, 2023, the play still very much shows its period time setting now with references to, you know, which CD to play um, or, you know, using the landline throughout um, the show. 
Um, did you feel like it was important keeping the setting, the time in 2003 and not updating it 20 years later with I, modern references? I wasn't, I wasn't sure at first, you know, I, of when I was going to revise it, I was like, hey, I'm going to have to change all those references. And then it started to become, I started to realize like, ah, the logistics of like leaving a message. And so then I sort of just made the artistic slash lazy decisions like you know what i'll just leave it 2003 um and i'm glad i did actually i really in hindsight am glad i did there's something about the fact that first of all that 2003 is like a period not that, that's not contemporary it's just shocking to me now but um it's uh you know i think it's a it, it has something to do with um you know it's post 9 11 world um which is very subtly alluded to, I think, in the play. But um, I guess I thought about it, but then I didn't do it. And I, I still think it works. I'm amazed that people that, like younger people, come to see the play and they don't know any of the music references, any of the cultural references, and still somehow get the sense of what each one of those things represents. So that's been gratifying. Right. Um, I want to touch on this brilliant cast you've assembled, and it's worth noting that three yeah. of the four original cast members, with the exception of John, um, th they came from the original um, workshop production 20 years ago. You have John Ailes, yeah. who is known from Euphoria and Painkiller, um, Julie yeah. Dretzen, Handmaid's Tale, Six Feet Under, Breaking Bad, How to Get Away with Murder, so many others. Um, Paul Schultz, who's been in The Sopranos, Nurse Jackie, 24, and then Amy Scribner, who's known for, you know, being part of sketch comedy groups yeah. like the Groundlings and Gotham City Improv and others. Yeah. Um, can you talk about assembling this cast and how, I guess, surreal it must have been that, you know, three of the four who you worked with 20 years ago yeah. are, are coming back all this time later? Yeah, uh, it, was, it was so much fun. We knew there was the idea of sort of we're restaging this or... Uh, was Julie and, and our other producer, Joanna Colbert, was like, we sort of knew this writer strike was coming, obviously, like many people did months before. So uh, it just felt like a good idea to be doing theater, had to be doing something. And so, yeah, just spending time. I mean, I'm friends um, with all these people. So, I mean, it was just, I'm still in touch with, with, with everyone. So just spending that time, in a theater with people that you love and really trust um, with no network notes is <laughs> pretty great. You know, it's, it was so intimate and just so fun and very pure and um, so unprofessional <laughs> in a lot of ways, but we still got the work done. And um, you know, there's all these people are, you know, in their fifties, pretty sure late forties or fifties, really experienced and um, knew what they were doing and took direction easily. It was fun. It was so much fun. Um, it was such an antidote from walking the picking line. Would love to know sort of your, um, the motivation you had in, you know, dusting this playoff all these years later and premiering it for LA audiences. I would think that, the timeliness just coming off of the pandemic of the last few years where people yeah. were definitely faced with these exact, you know, personal social anxieties, you know, showcased in the play or even 
you know the strikes with you know these actors availabilities it it just seemed like it was perfect timing you know between the two of those to um bring it back can you touch on the timeliness of the story but also how all the pieces sort of aligned yeah i mean in terms of i didn't want to redo it again julie my wife and the producer and joanna the other producer were sort of pushing it i was i was very reluctant i think I don't know why. I'm sure it was some form of ego at play, but they sort of convinced me. And I had originally played the role of Ben, now played by John Ailes. Uh, But I haven't been acting, you know, in like 18 or something like that, 18 years. So I just didn't really feel like I wanted to do it. And I had mistakenly been shown a video of, of the original performance and see my acting. And that was one of the things that made me want to stop acting. I was so mortified but um uh so we knew that we were going to have this time and space to do it and then um and we found john ailes who's just fantastic who i didn't know personally joanna had recommended him even though i had cast him in preacher um a few years before i personally did not know him and she just said like this guy's she I think he'd be great for this part. And he's fantastic. Um, and such a sweet man. We love him. And then in terms of the timeliness, I feel like, cause I think um, in 2003, it was sort of informed on a broader scale by nine 11 fear of the other. And mm-hmm. a sense that the outside world is more dangerous. Right. Um, but I actually feel like the pandemic has, uh, in a lot of ways, it's an even more sort of traumatic event for sort of the cultural psyche. And I, and I, and I think that's why a lot of the young people, I say young people, I mean like people in their twenties have kind of gravitated and identified with the play in a way that I was very surprised by. And I think a lot of that is COVID. I mean, I think we still feel, I know I do still feel the effects. It's had such a long lasting um, resonance in, in our lives. And, um, and I think that sort of coziness, um, it seemed to me like so many people were saying like, you know, it's, it's been, you know, in the first few months or the first year, it's like, it's been kind of nice. And you're just, you're just kind of reconnecting with your family and it's sort of, very cozy and the world gets very small and, uh, but in a nice way and the outside world is, you know, we're all, we're seeing the terrible news, but inside here it's safe. And so I just feel like, you know, now the world is slowly opening up again, but not entirely. I can't believe the arc light is still out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, theaters are really struggling to get people to go. People are still kind of wanting to put their feet up and stay at home. They don't want to go to the office, all that stuff. So I think um, when people come to see the show, I think that part, the COVID part really resonates, I think, uh, in a way that I was surprised by. But in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. Right. And as you mentioned, you have this young generation of people now watching the play 20 years later, and it just the message just resonates more than ever because of what we just came off of. Um, Well, I would love to know if there were any particular moments in the play that is true or inspired by 
um, you mentioned that this is very much, you know, um, a reaction to, you know, how you and Julie would attempt to form <laughs> friendships as a couple or later yeah. as, as a married couple. Um, yeah. So can you talk about any particular moments in the play that is true from personal experience that you and Julie have experienced? Um, and is the couple that you modeled Paul and Amy after mm-hmm. still a couple in your life? Or was it like this one-off <laughs> couple that you had drinks with one night and never ac- encountered again? Um, so yeah, if you could touch on those two things. I don't know. I mean, it's weird for some reason, the play seems to be set in suburban Long Island, which I've never really spent any time in. There's like King Cullen. There's all these references to suburban Long Island, and I can't even remember how they got in there. So there's a sort of surface reality that has nothing to do with with my life or Julie's life. Right. Um, but I mean, I think anybody that knows us and comes to see the play, I mean, I'm not as off the charts, visibly neurotic as... Ben is right um but that's how a lot of the times i feel inside although i will say having been married for 20 years to this amazing woman and just you know you get older those those that those types of fears kind of diminish a little bit or they the the sharp edges sort of smooth away so i'm not quite as nuts about social interaction as i used to be but i still I still, even if I, even if there's something good uh, that's coming up, like a concert or something that I've been waiting to go see, on the day that that event arrives, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta yeah. go do that thing. Um, so I still have that. And then in terms of Danny and Doris, the characters that Paul and Amy play, yeah, I don't know where that came from. I mean, Paul. <laughs> Paul, is you know one of my oldest best friends in the world. He's godfather to my oldest child, but he, <laughs> I love and trust him uh, completely. But he, a, a long-standing joke that he has always had is is flirting with my wife mm-hmm. in front of me. So I feel like uh, I just sort of exaggerated what that is and made it funny, and. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very personal. It's very, but I think the sort of trappings of it. I mean, I'm sure Julie would still give me shit about going to the grocery store and only coming back with frozen pizzas. Um, I'm sure that's happened. But, um, but yeah, that's all that comes to mind. Yeah. Um. Well, congratulations again on the show. Um, Before I let you go, I do want to touch on one upcoming project that hopefully um, we'll be seeing soon, and that's um, the upcoming Apple TV Plus sci-fi series, Sugar, that um, Mm -hmm. you've been developing with Colin Farrell, Amy Ryan, and others. Um, I know a lot about the show is under wraps, but Mm -hmm. from from what I could read, it's it seems like it's a genre bending modern take on the private detective story and it's set here in LA. Um, Can you share a little bit more about what we have to expect from sugar? Yes. It's uh, created. I did not create the show. It's uh, I was brought in as a writer and executive producer. Um, It's created by Mark Protasevich and uh, who's a very talented uh, feature writer. And it's uh, 
It's Colin Farrell as a modern day, it's sort of a modern day noir set in Los Angeles. And Colin Farrell, it does have a, a, a surprising genre element to it too that's very subtle, but um, pretty amazing. He drives a really cool car. It's a little. It's kind of got an old-fashioned uh, detective feel to it, too, mm-hmm. um, where he's this sort of, uh, you know, a loner, and he's got this very, very mysterious past, and uh, it's just a great. It's just a great project, and and um, obviously Colin is an amazing actor and just such a sweet, sweet, wonderful guy. So, which isn't always the case. And so um, I think it's coming out. It was supposed to come out in the fall because of the strike and the, all that stuff. So it got pushed. So I think it's coming out in March, something like that. Um, but people are going to really love it. Sounds good. Um, well, Sam, thanks again. Um, congrats My on pleasure. Sea of Terror. Again, it um, is going to be running until the end of the month at the Hudson Theater in LA. And then we'll have the top of next year to look forward to with Sugar. Um But thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming out and seeing the show. Thanks, Max. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.